Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Chill Culture. I'm your host, M. Robertson, and I'm so stoked that you guys are tuning in. Today we have Brad Williams joining us. He's a strength and conditioning specialist with almost 10 years of, ex- of experience in the world of SNC and recovery. Today, Brad is going to be debunking some of the myths around strength training for trail runners and how we can better approach our SNC in and out of race season. I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Trail Culture. I am really stoked to have Brad Williams with us today on the podcast, a man of many talents. Um, He's one of those people who's good at everything. All he has to do is try. He is a sports scientist, an SNC coach, recovery specialist, sportsman, and a friend. He has some incredible qualifications behind his name and just as much experience in the sports world. His studio is in Cape Town, but you can actually find him at pretty much any endurance event, especially the multi-day things like the Epic. He's worked with world-class runners, the national hockey teams, the pro tiers, and more. And yeah, he's somebody who still somehow has the time and patience to work with his friends and get our strength training done. So yeah, Brad is joining us today to talk about all things strength and conditioning related and to debunk some of the common myths when it comes to trail running and strength training. So welcome, Brad. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yay. I'm very proud of you for your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Brad, you must be going on almost 10 years of experience in in the sports science and the SNC space, sports science world. Um, you have a re- I know you have a range of, of experience and insights, and we're going to get into the specifics just now, but can you just give us a rundown of how you found yourself in the high performance space? Um, depends how far back you want me to go. I've always been active as a kid growing up, interested in and invested in sports, professional sports, recreational sports, hobbies, anything that I could beat my friend at in a physical effort basically competitive nice as all us youngsters grow up as in south africa and but specifically in high performance and strength and conditioning that that really evolved with my sporting career i played a few sports very seriously one in particular cricket was my first love nice and but i i really took my sports seriously even though i might not have played everything at a national level it it, that, that very much resonated with me and naturally, once I got into the latter years of high school, I had to start thinking about what I wanted to be when I grew up. Nice. Right? Because yeah. that's the world we live in. <laughs> and uh, sports science. still trying to figure it out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That, that's not going to change, I don't think. And um, sports science was a pretty clear option. I was fortunate in my school to actually take sports science as a two-year module in uh, the first two years of high school so that's really where the seed was planted and came to fruition in varsity when i applied for and got into a degree for sports science and further went on to do honors degree in sports science high performance specializing in strength and conditioning not academically per se um, in that year that the modules that I specifically chose were SNC focused, it's more just to say that I was personally mostly vested in the strength and conditioning elements of that honors degree, as opposed to tactical and technical coaching or data analysis or yeah. anything and everything that sports science entails. I remember in, so Brad and I actually studied together and I remember in our honors year, we had like a SNC, like a strength focused project. I can't remember the exact ins and outs. And I was like, oh, I'm allergic to this. I just want to be outside. Um, and I think I remember coming to you to be like, can you help me like with this thing? And you took uh, another friend of mine, Francis, and a bio uh, into the gym. And I think you were just like shocked at how little we knew. Like, do you guys call yourself sportswomen? But... <laughs> Uh, and there were some embarrassing moments of us dropping weights in the gym and don't know if you remember all those things uh, yes. so thanks for, for sticking it out with the rookies still. sure that was one of the best days of my life <laughs> watching you and Francis throw 5kg plates around the squatting rack in Marty's high performance gym with first team rugby and swimming and Olympic level athletes running around <laughs> and we were like let's just make a whole lot of noise um, I loved it yeah, funny. it's great um Cool, Brad. And I mean, honors, 
you kind of were involved in that like HP space, SNC. I know you you took that kind of things really seriously, um, those things seriously. And I mean, you're still in this space, so there must be something that's like keeping you, keeping you there, keeping you interested. Yes, I think I'm person. So. I don't know how philosophical you want me to get. Unfortunately, I can irritatingly be a bit over philosophical sometimes. But for the sake of answering your question, <clears throat> excuse me, I am a very intentional person in the sense that I try. I typically won't do something that I haven't, for at least a moment, considered the implications of that thing. In other words, practically, strength and conditioning for me is like the root of all physical efforts. Yeah. So you can have a passion for any sport, cricket, soccer, rugby, squash, golf, ultra running, road running, trail running, mountain biking, triathlon, adventure racing, whatever, go nuts. But in every single physical effort, if you want to be advanced or even just proficient, strength and conditioning lays a foundation for injury prevention, for performance enhancements, um, and should be the root effectively of all physical efforts yeah. from beginner to advanced. And I think because I personally resonate with laying foundations and setting, uh, setting roots in place for the primary, as I call it, the sports itself, I typically identify with that, that baseline value. That's really cool. So it's like you need to basically it's like get the basics in place to kind of elevate your, your sport, whatever, whatever sport or effort it is. Yeah, I think of it as a catalyst, as fuel on the fire, but not just for performance, also for injury prevention, um, which is actually a performance enhancer, which well, yeah. for theoretical reasons, which we can go into We're later. We're going to get into now. That's awesome, Brad. And I mean, this platform is, is all about stories and we are going to get into kind of your expertise and more specific um, insights shortly. But I want you to share like one of your many stories from the high performance world. Like what has been one of the most rewarding experiences for you um, in your career working with athletes? I've mentioned that you've worked with a range. Um, you've been on some like insane adventures. So yeah, can you highlight just one thing for us? Sure. I, that's a very, very difficult question to answer because I consider all the sort of big deal expeditions and events and things that um, I work on meaningful. Ones, uh, ones that come to mind are we do a lot of work at Epic every year. Um, that's a, I've had the privilege of working with pro teams placed in top 10 positions at Epic, personally concierging for them, um, working with the manager working with the riders um, I've worked with the pro tiers. That was very special because cricket is my first love. Yeah. That was very meaningful to me, but I would say truthfully, the, the, the most meaningful of them all is also the most intense of them all. I did a, I did a few stints, but the biggest of them was a, a an expedition for a global organization called Thirst, um, where a the CEO thereof, the founder of that organization, is pushing for a world water crisis, health and solutions, and systemic change globally. And in order to gain attention, to gain attraction, to create change, she's attempting to do crazy physical efforts in the form of running marathons. So last year, she attempted to run 200 marathons in a year. Crazy. Finishing in New York at the um, the uh, UN the annual UN conference, I believe it was, um, and she was gonna storm through the front doors oh, with this wow. feat. Make this like grand entrance, yeah. Yes, and my role on this expedition, I did two months for them through Europe. I did a couple of weeks through Brazil, um, and then one or two others, unfortunately, didn't pan out. Um, but I was her primary physical aid supports for the duration of my time serving on the expedition being in the form of sports massage doing mobility stretches exercises if need be to prevent injury and just keep her going so yeah. not particularly primarily a strength and conditioning related role but very much in the field of 
managing an athlete physically, keeping yeah. her strong, yeah. keeping her injury free. Yeah, and I think your kind of knowledge of, of that space and the load that she was like taking on, um, yeah, served you well in keeping her going. And I think on that you worked with Jason Coop. Yes. Who is I mean his book is like right here, like legend. Um, but I have a personally signed copy. Oh, so cool. And I, I actually remember chatting to you and when I was like, Are you like cause I followed Jason on Instagram and, and I saw he made a story and I was like, Did hold the phone? message brad did i just see you in the background of like jason coop's like story throwing a peace sign and then you proceeded to phone me and then hand the phone to him and be like jason speak to emily and he was like what's up emily and i was like okay the little researcher fangirl in me almost died on the spot um but yeah that's so cool that you kind of got an experience of an elite team set up on an epic expedition it kind of hasn't been done before um yeah yeah, that was a real privilege. That was totally coincidental. He was our team lead for our units for that leg of the expedition, i.e. the two months through Europe. Um, so it really was the stars that just aligned. And in hindsight, a huge privilege that I will cherish yeah. for the entirety of my professional career. So cool. Am I weird, Brad? Yeah. I think there's actually like hundreds of stories. We're going to have to get you back <laughs> to talk about all of them. But Brad, I think why I wanted to get you on here today is obviously to to pick your brain and kind of you are an expert in the field, whether you want to admit it or not. Um, but this kind of the SNC complex, like the reason that I called it the complex was more because of I think how trail runners view strength and conditioning specifically. I'm not saying it's all of them, but most of them kind of view it as this like really scary, complicated thing. And I think you're gonna kind of break it down and be like just like the snc like i don't know explanation or simplicity or whatever like the opposite word of complex but just to get stuck in like most most runners only find themselves in an snc space by force like again it's not all but most of them so that's either because of an injury uh because of fear of an injury or because someone's making them them do it um, and they kind of do whatever they can to patch themselves up and get back outside um, and onto the trails so first up I just want to like the point of understanding leads to action or like better execution that's that's how all my experience kind of with coaching athletes but does that ring true in the SNC world and like how can we make this thing less complicated so uh, the biggest way I think we can make it uncomplicated is just with expression thereof and advertisement thereof for those who do actually practice it and have positive experiences with it, which is every single person that's ever proficiently done strength and conditioning. Okay. I think it it's actually the education side behind it. I think there are a lot of myths. There are a lot of connotations that are attached with weights gym yes. supplements and yeah. those connotations unfortunately leak into every physical exercise but in this case trail running very negatively unfortunately i think that's yeah it feels the like reason. the kind of traditional gym space and trail running are just like opposites in a lot of ways like practically i just like how it looks um the inside versus outside and 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 but I think, yeah, it's, it's just a nerve wracking space. I think either for beginners getting into it, like the gym is just intimidating. And specifically if that's not your primary sport, like you've mentioned that now where the primary thing is running and we're kind of doing this thing to supplement that, but you're going into a space where a lot of people like gym is their thing. There's some like big gym bros, there's some heavy weights, there's machines that I literally look at that and I'm like, how does that but work? Am I upside down? Am is I it like, the leg through the... <laughs> And the hand under... Then you like hover around waiting for someone else to use it so you can see yeah, like yeah. how it works. Like you and Francis did that day <laughs> in the gym. Oh, wow. Well, oh, that is what a, what a day. Um, but how, how do you approach program design and education for... I know you work with a lot of athletes and like side notes, Brad is actually a good trail runner when he wants to be. He's one of those people who can do no training and then pitch up to join you for a social run and just like run away from you. Um, and then be on the golf course the next day for eight hours. But yeah, with, with a new athlete, like how do you approach like program design and education? Um, yeah. 
like strength trail running somebody comes to you kind of talk us through that okay and then just to clarify like when you say new athlete also new to the game or just new to me as a, a new client i think either but like let's let's start with like somebody who's fresh they're getting into trail running and there's just i mean just within the trail space there's like 50 million things they have oh, to yeah. know but um a lot of people are like don't forget to do your strength and it's this like it's this weird like I know I should but I don't know how and then it kind of falls down on the priority yeah. list and then all of a sudden you're injured and you're like oh man I should have done yes. strength. So. so the biggest problem that I think we have is that we as humans are measure driven mm. for, the, for the sake of words that come to mind now we have to have a number attached to a thing to <laughs> use as a reference for how we performed relatively to previous experiences. So we need to know, are we getting better? And are we beating her? Basically, <laughs> that's what, unfortunately, we as humans, especially athletes, are driven to be. And again, any sports, how many runs did you score? How many minutes did you, how many Ks did you complete in your game, etc. Um, so the first thing I would need to do is to try and identify the athlete themselves' reasons for being in the sports. Some a lot of runners actually just want to run recreationally. In fact, yeah. most runners. Yes. I mean, let's be honest, yeah. are not starting a sport to run for podium. Yeah, I think um, we we live in like the bubble of I don't know this like Stellenbosch Cape Town space is like if you're a good athlete here, like a recreational athlete, you're like sub elite somewhere else because it's this hub yeah. of like Olympians, elites, professionals, and then what you consider to be like shameful. You go home and, and everybody in your hometown thinks that you're a professional athlete. So I think it is relative. But exactly. Yeah. Okay, the recreational athletes. Yeah, so the problem with running and trail running in particular is that the community is unlike any other. It is exceptionally vibrant, exceptionally welcoming and healthily competitive. Yeah. So it's very easy to get sucked in, which means you go pretty much from zero to, to running your first ultra in like eight months, right? Yeah. Not yeah. good. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a professional coach, but I know not good. So my job is to try and explain, uh, try and identify what their goals and their needs are, number one. And then number two, try and help them to understand what the journey is going to look like. Strength and conditioning is a grudge buy. It's like buying a new mattress. Okay, yeah. it's like, going to cost you 20 grand, yeah. right? No like, one's ever going to see it. They're not going to come over to watch the rugby on a 20, what a 40, 50, 60 inch flat screen. You can't brag about it. Yeah. But a good mattress is going to change your life. Oh, wow. That's what strength and conditioning does to your performance and injury prevention and just general enjoyment of yeah. the sport. And it just stops us from getting old, man. <laughs> um question that you're not prepped for but i'm gonna ask you anyway is like you are professional in the snc space like this is your your thing you work with a lot of people and you've just mentioned like i'm not a coach but i know this like how do you see what do you see as a like, good practice for running coaches in terms of bringing strength training in chatting to the person who's doing snc looking at the programs we're going to get into periodization just now but yeah, like how, what's your experience of like something that works with a coach's involvement in, in SNC for their athletes? So this is a very ill-placed stab, but if you hear me out, most coaches, even professional runners with experience themselves, aren't diversely and equipped enough to understand the needs of a human's physiology in the sense that the role that strength can play and that recovery can play and that and that every single human's body is different and unfortunately what happens is a lot of coaches use the success they found in their personal training being ex-athletes themselves and copy paste that onto athletes which is totally fine that's not wrong however that isn't going to work for every single client they ever sign so what i find is that we need to understand the needs of a human 
more diversely than we yeah. do uh, than than simply taking a plan that works and copy pasting it. Yeah. Identifying someone's needs, someone's physiology, yeah. how quickly um, they're able to recover or not, life logistics, and um, maybe they can only train three days a week. Um, you know, little things like that. Yeah, I think it's like um, maybe coaches their understanding of kind of the physiological concepts uh, are I don't want to say limited to, but more focused to like the running specific things. So like they should have a very good understanding of yeah the different physiological terms that relate to running itself and then i think sometimes s and c even from a coach perspective it's like we know it's needed again this is what worked for us we want to bring it in but oh this speaks to like a good understanding of periodization and 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 but as you say we are limited in you can't specialize in everything there's literally just not enough like time in a day or your life to like just be good at everything and that's why i love this concept of like everybody staying in their lane but running next to each other it's like if you picture a track it's like you have these professionals like recovery specialist snc specialist a coach um yeah I, i'm trying to think of the other things but it's like how much better would it be for the athlete if we all just like work together as opposed to like i'm gonna just kind of try my best i'm not gonna i'm gonna I'm going to go outside of my scope because I want to help you, but you actually end up hurting the athletes. Um, don't think the intention is always to do that, but yeah, either to make sure you've got a very good grip and understanding on this thing or to know when to refer or bring somebody in to, to help out. Agreed. Yeah. And to build on what I was saying uh, earlier and, and reiterate what you were just saying now, that was purely relative to the coach. Another equally, in fact, more influential issue that we have is that the strength and conditioning coach isn't equipped to understand what the athlete's needs are for their primary, as I mentioned earlier. In this case, the primary is trail running. That must always be given preference. So you start with taking all the coach's prescription, the primary coach's prescriptions, contents, periodization, peak zones, dip zones, whatever they have prescribed over their calendar of time, you then look at that and liaise with the coach to find out what physical state they need to be in at which point on this timeline. You yes. fall in line with the head coach. You submit to the primary. So the, the, as you're saying, unfortunately, the lanes don't quite run parallel. The typical example of what we find is the coach will prescribe strength training, yeah. massage, this they, they will then the athlete will google themselves strength conditioning Same coach they'll find someone and that coach will kind of do what they think is right and yeah. both are right in their own right but relative to the athlete very suboptimal usually yeah those lines those that gap needs to be bridged so you need yeah. that communication like clear cut like this is actually this is strength training but in the context of the block that you're in this is how it should look like, yes yeah we're in, gonna get into periodization now i'm like so keen but in one word communi- communication is, is essential yeah oh my word this is so cross great. disciplines um and i think when i wanted to when i was prepping i was like yeah i want brad to talk about this this and this and then eventually i was like you know what i'm gonna label this part as like let's debunk some of the snc myths okay i think um they've kind of come up here and there already but i just want to get stuck into some common myths that hang around like the strength space specifically from runners trail runners i've i'm not going to name names but i've heard these words leave runners and even coaches like mouths and um yeah basically i'm like we're just going to get stuck into what what you think about these so the most common one, and I'm I'm like, you're going to laugh because I think I've said this before. <laughs> and I think you just shook your head and you were like, I'm just going to let her hit her head. And then when she's done and has a headache, she can come back to me. But is, I don't need to do SNC, just running will make me strong. That is obviously a myth. <laughs> running can, you do get stronger the more you run, but you will never be able to trump the conditioning that strength and conditioning can offer even with extremely diverse and creative running programs yeah for me everything is relative to the goal so if your goal is to run 
is to Everest. So yeah. you pick a hill and you want to run it 63 times to Everest in 24 hours. Yeah. I think that's the term. Yes. To Everest. Is yeah, that... it's like Everesting. Yeah, it's Everesting. like the climbing to the height of, of Everest. Yeah, got you. Yes, of course. You need to do a lot, many hill sprints. Yeah. And many hikes and get mentally and physically conditioned for that experience. But strength and conditioning will adapt your body in ways that primary training just cannot yeah for performance and it will act as a huge injury preventer because you training for that stimulus that that strength adaptation stimulus but preventing overuse injuries by simply just running so of course anything you do consistently you will get stronger at but just running will never trump the strength you can gain from a very basic strength program, perhaps yeah. done twice a week. Yeah. Okay. No, that's it just can't catch that up. And I think it's that thing of, yeah, just, just running. Sure. Like you will, as you mentioned, the hiking, the, whatever the race looks like and you're training like that or the goal event looks like you will eventually hit a plateau despite varying your training, doing all the different things, making the running sessions look different, like from a pure, if you're looking at like strength, and I don't know if you want to like define actually just strength for us quickly, like what is strength? Uh, I mean, everything's relative. The strength, there's various forms of strength. So you, 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 we talk about strength endurance. We talk about absolute strength. We talk about plyometric ability, which comes from the back end of a strength baseline. Strength typically refers to, the, a, in an isolated fashion, a, a movement or muscle in particular's output force ability Yeah. for the sake of defining strength. Of course, we're not interested in the output force of your VMO when you're pre- prepping for your 50k ultra. Yeah, so the difference, so absolutes like the, the one rep max type of thing, which is is great but it's like the strength endurance which is we need that thing to be firing again and again for however many hundreds of thousands of steps you take on that ultra yes is that, okay it is in yeah. in, a, in a term we need to adapt that strength sport specifically cool and i think the the plateau that i'm talking about like you can vary all your run training as much as you like but then from a strength like let's say strength endurance or even absolute strength you hit the plateau um and is that like despite maybe a varying type of trail or a different type of challenge in terms of a stimulus out there that it's you only have your body weight out there like is it that we're looking at you need to be lifting more than your body weight and on one leg actually because running is a single legged sport Mm. um yeah is that like where does that fit in so there uh again that depends on where you are in your plan far away from your peak state so let's say early pre-season you want to be doing quite generic strength lots of big movements and compound movements squatting deadlifting lunging and nordic calls uh, not nordic calls oh yeah yeah nordic calls and lots of big movements Uh, bulgarian split squats was actually what i was looking for now those types of exercises as you get nearer to your event you need to stop squatting and deadlifting heavy. You need to move more into, as you say, lunging, Ametric lower intensity, yes. more plyometric, low, uh, higher volume, because that's what you need to, that is what you're attempting to prepare for. In fact, mimic On the in day. a controlled fashion come the events day. Okay, so that speaks to that general to specific training, like which is what coaches should be following of like, this is how it's going to look generally, the bigger movements kind of covering all the bases and then that circle kind of getting smaller and smaller and getting into the specifics. Yes. Very cool. The other reason for that isn't just because that's the optimal way to train for performance on the day. The other reason is it diversifies your training to prevent overuse injuries. Injuries is one of the biggest performance inhibitors, in my opinion, because let's say you pick up a little two-week niggle, right? It's not a big deal. Not only are you detraining for those two weeks, you're also not continuing to progress 
for those two weeks. So it's a compound loss. And yeah. that's, for me, the primary purpose of strength training. To Performance is great. Loss. Avoid injury. Yeah. Oh. Overuse injury. I feel like this is a personal attack. Um, Shots fired. Yeah. Um, okay, Brad, we've alluded to this so much and we're kind of getting into it now, but periodization. Okay. So I'm like, running is hard. Running after strength training is harder. But running without having done any SNC is the hardest. Like, let's just be real. So how the question or like the myth here is like, how can I run if I'm sore from strength? And that speaks to periodization in terms of like, how can I run if I'm sore from strength? You've got, say, let's take a 100K race that you're training for. Again, we know that the more time you've got to prep for an event like that, the better. Like, guys, please don't come to some of us six weeks before your race, having done nothing, and say you want to run 100Ks. It's the most stressful. That's, like, what gives me gray hairs. Um, but, okay, you've got, let's say, a year to prep for this 100K, 12 months. And it's like, oh, I... I, I so the myth is like, okay, well, I can't do strength because I'm going to be sore, too sore from strength to run. Sure, that is a reality, but... You spoke now about general to specific. So how do you fit strength training in over like say this 12 month period prepping for a hundred K race, you're doing big mileage. Yeah. Chat to us a bit about that. So if you are sore from training, that means you're either a very, very early on in your strength training block. In other words, you aren't adapted to strength training proficiently yet. At the same way, you aren't sore six months into your running program after your time trial on Tuesday. So whether we have DOMS is one thing, but sometimes we also generically use the term sore to just indicate a state of fatigue, heavy legs, something yeah. like that. That means that your strength training and your primary coaching are not aligned optimally. Okay. There needs to be a priority at any given moment yeah. until you reach a state of, well, let's say until the graphs intersect and you'll kind of have an equal state of strength and running priority. And I, and I don't necessarily mean volume or intensity or any kind of metric yeah. I, other than perhaps the loading on the body element. So early on, you want to be doing more strength training. Later on, you want to be doing less because you need to evolve to the primary. But to avoid doing strength training because you feel like you can't train properly after a heavy strength session the previous day, that is nonsensical because yeah. so you like shouldn't you be. given yourself enough time. It's yeah. like you're cramming because it's like, how I see it is that initially you should be not well, yeah, running less actually to make room for the baseline strength adaptations that need to take place alongside your running adaptations. And most runners are coming in with more like their running is here and their strength is kind of less. So it's like we need to bring this up to the same level and then like move forward at the same pace. Yeah, there are two big elements in play here. Number one, physiological adaptation and number two, neurological adaptation. We take a minimum of about 48 hours to 72 hours to adapt physiologically to the strength training effects, i.e. repair the damage. Yeah. Right. Training is just physically exert yourself to cause damage, repair that damage a little bit better than the state it was before. Yeah. Repeat. And managing that damage or that load by knowing where the athletes at and they a session is only as good as what they can recover from exactly so overreaching too early in either thing we're asking for trouble exactly okay. so the problem when you're sore or tired from strength it's because you're holistically burnt out and another element to all of this that we haven't even mentioned yet is that we as runners are humans with holistic lives who have jobs or are studying for very stressful exams or are going through relationship issues or are under immense financial strain a yeah. lot of that has an impact on your hormonal system your inflammatory responses and your ultimately your ability to recover physiologically and neurologically sure. 
If you're sore, it's because you've trained too intensely since your previous intense session and haven't been able to physiologically or physically recover. If you're tired, waking up tired, high resting heart rate, just exhausted and moody, it's because you're overreaching or in fact already overtrained mm. approaching burnout. And I think the strategic overreaching, I mean, we know that there are places where you you become adapted, whether it's running or strength or them at the same time. And it's like, okay, to get to the next point, we are going to have to overreach. It's going to be uncomfortable, sure. In that 48 to 72 hours, maybe you, I mean, you've maybe got some more inflammation in your body. You're not feeling yourself because it's new. But as long as you can recover from that within reason and like continue on, so like well-timed overreaching and then a period of rest makes sense. Yeah, okay. exactly that. And then just to specifically sort of address the answer, it really just means if, you, if you're put off by strength training because you couldn't get your run in properly today, it's because your training isn't planned correctly for you at that moment. Perhaps that exact prescription would have been perfect for you three weeks back or three weeks forward yeah. but in that moment it was incorrectly prescribed and that's the reason you had that experience okay oh, it's fascinating i'm like this is awesome um and this kind of ties into uh, we've seen me answered it but just to bring it up is i can do the same type of strength training in and out of season so that's, it's like runners are like, cool, I've, I learned this thing. I know I can do it. As you said, this achievement mentality of like, I can measure this. I, I'm good at this. It's comfortable. Let me stay here. It's not a scary movement. So how different should SNC look in and out of race season? So like during race season and out of race season. So let's take like the South African race calendar, for example. You've got this really busy period from, let's say like mid-Feb to the end of May. Um, and sure, these trail events that run throughout the year, but I'm talking about if you've got a typically periodized season, so you've got a lot of racing that happens in, then South African winters are luckily mild. I think that's why we tend to overtrain because you can actually run through winter, except for the one we just had, where you have to swim through the trails. But then let's say from end of May, early June to start of August, September, spring, you have this like three or four months off season. Um, and then back on the calendar with things like Otter, Cape Town Trail Marathon, Dryland Traverse, Maxi Race, whatever it is, leading up to ETCT. So you've got kind of two and a half, three months on, a four-month break, the three months, three, four months till the end of the year, and then that like December holiday. Um, so how should it look in and out of race season? Yeah. Well, that's such a difficult question to answer because, again, everything... If you're doing it properly, everything that you do as a coach, strength and conditioning coach or primary running coach is individualized for an athlete. Yeah. So I can answer that question for a, someone who's running their first 10K or first 50 or first 200 miler. But in principle, you always need diversity, whether that's different exercises, different intensities of the same exercises, different volumes of yeah. the same exercises, or more likely a healthy combination of all of the above, ranging from typically quite general preseason, that's holistic strength, yeah. that's dealing with foreseen weaknesses, issues, niggles that are going to come up because historically we know they're weaknesses for you, or we did an assessment and we found that they're weaknesses for you. That is the area where you want to address quite generally holistic full body oomph strength yeah. whatever that means yeah. later specializing for the specific event itself if it's flatter you're typically not going to push heavy if it's longer if it's higher more climbing you're typically going to try and adapt better for that so it does need to be very diverse um, you should definitely not stick to your routine for longer than i dare say a couple of weeks Okay. You always need to change. Bring some diversity in. So, Brad, do you see SNC or like your strength session as cross training and enough cross training? Or when you say diversity, and again, I think this rings like differently for professional, like elite level athletes versus 
that sub elite, which is actually most recreational athletes in this part of the world, like recreational is essentially sub elite. So, mm. but do you see SNC as cross training? And like, what would you encourage in your experience of somebody who's in the sport, even pretty proficient, but yeah, like your cycling, your swimming, what, what do you, how do you view that? So whatever is prescribed should be targeted towards a specific need for that athlete. Let me, let me put it to you this way. If an athlete is going through a very high volume of running, I have athletes that were pumping out 140K weeks yeah. going into Cape Town Marathon last weekend. Hectic. That is absurd. That is <laughs> a ridiculous amount of volume. Yeah, that's a lot of volume. We couldn't do that if we tried him. Yeah. <laughs> for Speak one for week. <laughs> jokes. I could maybe walk that's that far. That's next week's challenge, Brad. Let's go. 140Ks. <laughs> Got it. I like it. And Will Everest, all in one. Okay, deal. No, I think um, you need to you need to prescribe um, uh, the cross training specific to the athlete's needs. So that athlete is experiencing a very very high volume of one specific action. Whatever else they do needs to be other than that action. Okay. but still serving the athlete's physiological needs. For example, riding is a classic cross-training exercise yeah. for runners because they continue to get the heart rate up, pump up the quads. Yeah, it's not a, a, a great biomechanical crossover, but deload the joints. Okay. So it's specifically prescribed. Yeah. In other, th That's a very specific example though. Mostly... I always prescribe strength training as a cross-training exercise for runners because of the fact that it has a double impact for performance and for injury prevention long-term. Okay, I hear you. And the I know also say let's take cycling, you're in that seated position again, so deloading de the joints, sure, that's great. Um, and then we have we are humans who have desk jobs, so most of us just sit for like eight hours a day. Um, so this is moving more into, I feel like you have SNC and then you have your like mobility and flexibility like component of this, which I still, and even some of your more plyometric workouts, um, your stretching, your Pilates, like it's, it's like little like sub components of the SNC world. I don't know if I'm offending somebody by saying mobility is SNC, but yeah, like how would you say that fits in and making sure so you you training a lot, you're loading the joints, then when you do your cross training, you are either in the gym and picking up heavy things um, or trying new movements or on the bike or in the pool where, okay, the pool not so much, but the bike, maybe the position's not ideal. So where does the recovery aspect of SNC fit in? I think that's how I want to phrase it. Okay, I, um, I'm gonna answer your question, but probably not the way you are hoping. <laughs> This is, this is my personal um, approach to this, this equation. There are three portfolios that every single active person, recreationally and above, has to prescribe in their training. Number one, the primary training, running. You need to prescribe your running. Yeah, you need to run. And then equally, number two and three, you need to prescribe your recovery and you need to prescribe strength training. Yeah. I always say, as you plan your run you need to plan your recovery and plan That's your good, strength yeah. they yeah. need to fall on equal priority in ensuring that they are on your program not yeah. to say that recovery and strength will trump your primary focus because that is the goal that's what yeah. we're doing yeah. but they need to with equal emphasis be prescribed on your program Okay. And then so just on, yeah. Kind of, sorry, goal of the session is not necessary. Well, the adaptation from the session isn't like, you could probably easily be like, this is going to make you more this, like more fast or better climber or more of whatever. But I hear you with the importance. It's not just, okay, I'm going to jam recovery or SNC and if I have time. Because if you, if you put it like that to runners, they'll never make time no, for it. Yeah. That's immediately, uh, uh, identified it as a non-priority yeah which it absolutely is yeah um so yeah in in simple words when you get to the level that we are when it comes to paperwork blueprints planning we don't 
even categorize it under strength and recovery and coaching. Yeah. We look at the athlete's profile. What are their deficits? Speed. What are their um, strengths? Uh, history, joint conditioning. And then we'll say you need to do more mobility. You need yeah. to do have a few treatments. You need to do yeah. strengthen those VMOs. So you see all of this actually as like training. It's like there's just different types of training, but this is part of your training. Yes, I, I think that's because I'm... Re- to the concept of labels I hate <laughs> labels but I understand that we have to live in a world that has Life to be labels. categorized and mm-hmm. that needs to have a stamp on it and says this is a thing so again to answer your question I would probably technically put mobility under the un- the recovery umbrella but it's just to say of course it absolutely can and should be incorporated into your strength programs yeah and um there's very there's many facets of mobility it's not just stretching for example a lot of the exercises that i do i try to in strength mimic again get sports specific to the movements and even more so than above so if we do lunges i'm getting let's say a lot of our athletes into a very very wide split lunge yeah. ridiculously wide split lunge you would never find yourself in that position practically when executing the sport yeah however that gets mobility stretch and switches them on strength wise so it protects you. them should you ever find yourself falling reaching whatever stepping you've got strength in that hypermobile range yeah. and in like that way or hyper stretch yeah protecting exactly. yourself exactly the first time that happening is when you're busy falling down exactly and in that way the circles overlap well, that's really cool so that. let's put flexibility and mobility under the under the recovery umbrella but again they all serve the athlete's primary goals awesome this is so cool um last little myth before i kind of chat a bit more about recovery is unfortunately with the sport whether we wanted to or not i said this to to taryn i think i mentioned this to erin as well um when we were chatting but weight plays a role uh it is what it is. We can get into that actually in a whole it's episode on its own. But this idea of I'm going to get too big if I do strength. I need to be light for the trails. Yeah. Um, can of worms. That is, that is a laughable statement. Okay. For us professionals who have insights and academic knowledge. I don't, I will never laugh at anyone in their face for stating that because what do they know? They're not equipped, but I am telling you that that is a laughable statement. So every time someone says that at the Barai next weekend, (laughs) you have my permission to call them out and say, Hey, this guy that I heard on M school podcast says I should be laughing at you right now. No, to build muscle. And men and women are very, very different as well. But typically, to build muscle mass is actually very difficult. Yeah. It takes a long time. It takes very, very focused nutrition, planning, balance, uh, structuring of your program. And it needs to serve muscle growth style training. Or in other words, technically hypertrophy training. Running, strength training for running will not, and if it does, it can. Let me not say outright will not. It will, you... It's unlikely. You should gain muscle mass, but completely insignificantly negatively affecting your performance. It will only improve your performance and it will only make you more injury preventive. Preventative. Mm. You will be more injury... Free. I know what you're trying to say. You'll be... My English is eluding me. Yes. Uh, that's just to say, though, you're not going to pick up 10 kgs and be much heavier and more sluggish. The, the, for every, let's call it, ounce of muscle mass that you gain, the performance that you gain out of the loss or impact negatively from that extra ounce of muscle mass that you now need to carry around, the performance that contributes hilariously trumps the weight's negative impact of that gained muscle mass. Okay. That's, that's the root of this laughable offense. Then we start getting into things like having more muscle mass means you burn more calories because muscle mass, muscle tissue is an active tissue. Yeah. Fat is dead weight. 
if you have more muscle mass, you have more cells, you have more mitochondria, all consuming burning energy. Strength training takes up to 48 hours, 72 hours to recover from. You are literally burning calories for 72 hours post strength session, helping you with weight loss to gain again a insignificant amount of muscle mass from strength training to make is, you heavy on the trails is just is not. completely trumped by the performance enhancements gained from the weight loss fat loss from additional muscle mass gained and Specific the strength conditioning yeah. contribution for your performance and injury prevention contribution to your performance from that gain made that's the bottom line oh. So great, Brad. I literally, I'm like, I'm like learning as I, as I go, but, um, yeah. So those are, I mean, those are like the top four myths that we just debunked. I mean, right down to laughable offense, but so on like SNC has been the main focus. This has been a really cool chat, but the other thing you are is like a recovery specialist. And I know that one, I think, I mean, you've saved me slash some of my athletes countless times where we've done stupid things you you don't judge us too much for the training or the huge sessions we try to cram in and then we piece our broken bodies back together but having enough time to train for an event like that is that is one thing i think let's look at it in light of that like forget the the cramming uh, that some athletes and we're all guilty of this tend to do recovery like the session's only as good as the recovery from it we've said that I think the this sport is becoming more expensive as it grows. It's not just okay have a pair of tackies and go for it. How does like recovery fit in in terms of what do you see as the non-negotiables? I know people feel quite differently about foam rolling versus sports massage versus needling cupping. Like there's loads of recovery therapies, different options, and I think that's also specific to what can you afford and what can you have time for. Uh, what do you have time for like outside of your training um but yeah what do you see in terms of recovering from running and snc as the non-negotiables the non-negotiables are and will forever be until a very futuristic modern age of science sleep and nutrition those are equally the top two tiers of focus for recovery there is a chasm of space underneath those two and then we can have a conversation about sports massage about cryo and heat therapy or contrast therapy if you want to do both um uh, foam rolling which is really just fascia realignment and release and linotherapy which again is fascia release um cupping dry needling which is more of a a niggle management intervention but very much has a place recovery boots swimming cross training even cross training falls under the can contribute to the realm of recovery Mm. but i want to state again don't think that a sports massage is going to fix your overtrained body you need to sleep and you need to eat properly that's good Brad. period yeah and i'm I'm gonna cram 140 k's in sleep for three hours but i'll go to brad for a massage and everything will be fine yes yes (laughs) i can pat you on the back and sticky tape you back together but i do not condone your practices (laughs) i will call you out i will call you out that's so good Brad. shame no just teasing but um there is very much a lot to be said for recovery we really specialize in sports uh, in, in recovery and again you you made comments about how it's very expensive it's so diverse what do i do some people go to um for sports massage some people like the boots some people like baths some people like um ice baths uh, as in the heat or or ice baths but there isn't one to rule them all there is only your physiological and neurological let's say your needs there are only your needs and you need to practice interventions that directly purposely service those needs if you have a fascia issue a lymph drainage treatment is going to do zero for your fascia issue then you need to have some kind of linotherapy intervention if you have 
a spasm, an aggressive spasm, let's say months that's been building and it's really just boiled over now, you probably need to look at some kind of dry needling and deep tissue sports massage intervention. Doing a cold ice bath is not going to affect your muscular yeah. spasm long term. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, again, that's kind of where the labels start to dissipate, but the emphasis should be eat and sleep. Yeah. And just know where the different recovery like modalities fit in and yes. their importance. I like what you said, there's the chasm between like yes. the two things, sleep and nutrition and then yeah. And, and I, I just want to say again that your coach should be prescribing this to you. You you do not need, you should not be equipped, do not need to be equipped, should not be equipped to know all this. Yeah. Your coach should be prescribing interventions to service your needs. Types so of strength training, the timing thereof, recovery, when, what types, how all responding to your personal needs, servicing your personal goals. So good, Brad. I'm like, my brain is like already growing. I'm like, these are the people who need to come to you. This is when they need to come. This is how I'm going to send them. Da, da, da. Um, yes. So it's going to be cool. Brad, this, I'm like, we could literally sit and chat for hours and hours, which we have we have done before about all things SNC and performance related. Uh, the only thing I don't talk to you about is golf. Uh but we'll work on that. We'll work on that. The just kind of an end off question, which is uh, I'm asking, I ask all the guests, and this is also I, I know that you do. You're deep down a trail runner, but literally just to wrap up is what is your favorite trail and why? Man, that's so tough, <laughs> Mr. Cape Tonian. Like how do, I don't know how to answer that question. Do I pick like the the best trail I've ever run? Do I pick my favorite weekly, monthly trail? <laughs> Do I pick like my holiday favorite? Oh, wow. Look at you. I don't <laughs> even know how to answer that. <laughs> if you could only run one trail forever, what would it be? This is, this is very boring, but I think it speaks to my personality. I love Newlands Forest. Very cool. There are many, many trails. You can run a different trail every single day of the year. There's a little spider web network hike uh, get up to the contour you can go up over some of the saddles go up um or up the saddle up to devil's peak or you can go Very laterally cool. out to constantia but just to mess around in newlands forest you Very can nice. run for an hour or six hours and not get bored yeah bump into some clients bump into some elite athletes oh, yes. you never know see every single dog in and Cape Town. many lost people yeah <laughs> guys the rule is run downhill if you're lost, just run downhill. Yeah. You will eventually hit a road. Yeah. It's like, find somebody on the Devil's Peak saddle. It's like, um, where's UCT? And oh you're like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, this is actually bringing back some very specific memories of UCT. A broken toe. Oh, uh, what did I have? Food poisoning. Oh, like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Story for another time. Oh, if you want to ask Brad about his worst trail experience ever, yes. speak to Brad or Simon Duvall about UTCT. 2018? 2019. 2019. Oh my word. Yeah. Times. Oh uh, my goodness. My shoulders are still sore from pushing you up the hill <laughs> that day. I'm still offended. No jokes. Um, Brad, where can we find you? Um, social media, your studio, give us give us the deeds. It's all going to be in the show notes. So we're based physically in Cape Town in Observatory, um, quite nicely along. Yeah, it's very accessible, quite near to the highway. Um, so we can post that up in the description. But social media is at Brad WSS. Um, website is bradwss.com. Yeah, you'll find our links all over the show. Um, Very cool. Brad otherwise, Science. Yeah, otherwise at events. We, we're, we're, we're changing our events calendar slightly. We're evolving. We're, we're trying to be, uh, we're, we're trying to, we're trying to, step it up a little notch so nice. let's let's see yeah. what 2024 has in store for us i didn't us. know you could step it up <laughs> yes all starting with the the expo last week at cape town marathon Perfect. which was quite special awesome um, yes yeah, so you can find us at, uh, at those links or at your local trail running events oh epic brad thanks so much for your time you'll definitely be back and um yeah we, we hope to see you actually on the trails, not just in the gym. Cool. Thanks. And good luck with this podcast. I'm very keen to, to keep in touch, man. And I'll get Jason Coop to, um, to get you on one of his if Make you're not careful. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Brad. Maybe you'll also get a hand side and 
copy. Imagine, yeah, <laughs> throw this one out the window. Just teasing, just teasing. I shouldn't name drop. It's very inappropriate. <laughs> Good luck, Em. Thanks, Brad. There you have it, everyone. Some great insights from Brad Williams around strength and conditioning, how we can fit our strength training into our planning for in and out of race season, the do's and don'ts, and just generally debunking some of those myths. I hope you guys found this episode useful and insightful, and we will see you back here next week for our next episode.